0: In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful um, for the blessing of rest, for the blessing of your love that is showered upon us each and every day. And Father, as we seek to know you more through your word, we just pray that you would open our minds, open our hearts. May we be able to receive um, the lesson and the blessing that you have for us this afternoon. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, First, I want to say thank you, Angela, for that beautiful music it was very lovely we've got some um some fans in the chat so uh, thank you we'll have to have you back more often and greetings to everyone else uh, advent hope family welcome um i am saying hello to you from the brisk and cool weather here in maine uh today um so i've got a little hoodie but the air is fresh And um, I'm taking big, big, deep, deep breaths that hopefully I can also take back with me to New York. (laughs) So um, good to good to be with you guys via Zoom. So if you've been tuning in for the last uh, several weeks, we have been going through the letter of First John. The first week, uh, we talked about uh, the invitation, invitation to walk in the light. And each week, we've been learning uh, different lessons from, from each chapter, just building on one another. The second week, we had Pastor Vanessa come in and, and uh, via Zoom, and she talked about uh, because God is, I am, who God is, and so therefore, we mimic um, who he is. And last week, we talked about spiritual growth and the journey of a believer and what that kind of looks like. Um, Today, this week, we'll be talking about the love of God and unfolding that a little bit more um, in the way that the Apostle John has presented the the thought. So this message is entitled, This is Love. And if you missed any of those previous messages, um, don't despair. They are on our website. If you go to adventhope.org, you can find all the past messages um, on the media page, sermon media, sermon sermon videos. So check that out. And um, I'd also encourage you to read the letter of First John. It's five short chapters just to get um, a more uh, concise understanding of what exactly is happening in the letter. And lastly, next week, a good friend of mine, Pastor Sandra Furman, who pastors in California, she will be closing us out with this series on First John. So we're looking forward to that and hope that you continue with us. But let's transition back. This is love. This is love. The Apostle John is um, sharing with us this morning. But before we talk about what the Apostle John said, let's chat about some ideas of love. And actually what I did was I did a little Google search of, What children think love is. What do children think love is? I typed it in and a few interesting quotes came up and I wanted to share those with you uh, even in continuation of our um, idea of children from last week. Check out some of these cute quotes. Rebecca, age eight, when asked what she thought love, um, love was, she said, when my grandmother got arthritis... She couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Billy, age four said this, when someone loves you, the way that they say your name is different. That was Billy at age four. Noelle at age seven said, love, is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. Then another, Terry, who's age four, said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. And Marianne, who's also age four, said, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Funny thing is about each one of these responses that the children shared is they understood that love was something that they could see. Love was something um, that had some type of result, some type of visible action, some type of response. And John, the apostle John, defines love as something that is active and also results in a type of life giving response. He goes further than describing, you know, childlike fuzzies, because love is not only a multidimensional abstract concept, love is a person. Look, look with me at uh, verse one of first John chapter four. It says this, beloved, do not believe every spirit which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Every spirit that confesses. Now, something that we talked about in our very first message in our introduction to this letter was um, the context. And in the first century, um, the new believers and Christians who had just joined the faith were battling a particular movement and the movement was entitled Gnosticism or the Gnostics. And so the Apostle John addresses some of their teachings in the next uh, verses of this passage. Now, some would say that Gnosticism is a type of religious movement or it's a type of philosophical movement or it's both. There are multiple variations or um, sects of Gnosticism. And so what actually happened is that some previous believers had left the Christian faith and they ended up subscribing to the teachings of Gnosticism, which were in complete opposition to the foundational teachings of Christianity. And so John begins to try and address or combat some of these teachings that truly undermined the heart of the gospel. So we're gonna talk a a little bit about some of those teachings and then pull it together at the end. The Gnostics believed that salvation was not through a redeemer, it was through knowledge. They believed that there were hidden things uh, related to the universe and to the divine realm that only a few people knew. And the attainment of this knowledge was salvific. Knowledge was their salvation, and not Jesus. And Paul actually warns warns against this. In fact, multiple letters do in the New Testament. Paul warns in uh, the uh, in the book of Colossians, chapter two. He says, "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ." okay that's colossians 2 verse 8 through 10 and so he gives this warning not only the apostle uh, john but also paul the apostle paul but the gnostics also believed that individuals needed to be saved from ignorance and not sin and so and and they thought that by developing a deeper knowledge of yourself a deeper knowledge of what they believed to be uh, this trapped soul in the human frame they believed that if you knew more that you could be saved and because salvation was based on knowledge and not freedom from sin they were kind of they were free from the moral law they were free from the ten commandments good and evil became less relevant and people lived and behaved according to their own standards So by erroneously interpreting for the Gnostics, interpreting the problem of humanity, it led them to seek erroneous solutions. And because the Gnostics had laid their their foundation of salvation on knowledge and the attainment of knowledge, it led them to ultimately deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ. They believed, that Jesus was simply a human who had attained enlightenment, not God who had come down from heaven. And so they were in denial of Jesus's entire purpose of coming down to earth to save people from their sins because they believe that evil is not within human beings, but is a presence that dwells somewhere in the divine space. So in that case, therefore there's no need for a redeemer or the incarnation of God from heaven if humans can save themselves by the attainment or pursuit of knowledge. Gnosticism was a complete attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the apostle John writes to believers and he begins refuting some of these detrimental teachings of Gnosticism. And in all of John's writings, even in the gospel of John, he constantly emphasizes the divinity of Jesus Christ and that Jesus was God himself who came in human form. And so he says, look, God is not knowledge. God is love. And those who treat others with love know God. John then begins defining the love of God by the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the exact event which the Gnostics claimed to be false. So John basically says, look, I'm going to show you this is love. Look at verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. The question is, or here's my question, how does the incarnation of Christ show the love of God? How does the incarnation of Christ show the love of God? Now we're gonna flip around a little bit, but in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, shows us a little bit more how the incarnation shows us the love of God. Look at Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. It says, look, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. Okay. Jump down to 17. Therefore, he had to be made, Jesus, like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, there's that word again, payment, for the sins of the people or atonement. Here's what this is, okay? How does the incarnation of Christ show the love of God? God came down off of his throne to become like us, to become like you and like me, to become a human being. God, the creator of the universe, God who is so big, decided to contain himself in something so small. Hebrews 2 verse nine says, He was made lower than the angels. One of the main purposes of God becoming human is so that we, you and me, could have a divine being who understands us. We have a God who chose to walk in human shoes. We have a representative in heaven who understands us a representative of the people, one who has lived, sweat, worked and died in the same way that we do. We have a God who gets it. And John says, this is love. There's a famous picture um, when Barack Obama uh, was a sitting president, um, uh, a young uh, black boy came to visit the White House And um, he got to meet President Obama at that time. And uh, the little boy wanted to whisper something in um, Obama's ear. And so Obama leans forward and the little kid whispers, can I touch your hair? Can I touch your hair? And so Obama gets down and the kid reaches out his hand and he touches the head of President Barack Obama. Why? The little boy had never seen the President of the United States with the same textured curls as him. He had to touch it. He had to see if his hair was like mine. He wanted to know if the President was like him. John says, Jesus became like one of us. This is love. So how does the incarnation show the love of God? We're not done. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. If you are flipping there, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. It says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The text says scarcely would one die for a righteous person. Here's a point to take home. The incarnation not only allowed the eternal god to walk in our shoes but it, it also allowed for god to experience death on our behalf. And this is this is why we honor servicemen and and women who put their lives on the line for a nation, for a people, for the world, we we offer them not enough recognition, actually, too little recognition, right? I remember uh, when I was teaching some years back and I was teaching, um, uh, grade was it sixth grade, some middle school, and it was at the time where we were having in the United States a number of mass shootings, uh, our school shootings, and so, every school was on alert and we were planning, making sure that we had protocol in place in case something like that happened. And as we were talking and talking about teachers who'd given their lives to save young children, the thought dawned on me how potentially difficult that could be for a number of people, especially if you are teaching in a very difficult space or circumstance like I was. No, the kids were not nice to put it bluntly. They were mean, they were aggressive, they were violent. They tried to fight me, they cursed me. They did all of these things. And I wonder, would it be easier to give my life for nice kids? for good kids, for righteous kids, or kids, I should say, not not good kids, kids that behaved in a manner that I approved of. Jesus didn't give his life up for righteous people. He didn't give his life up for simply good people. Jesus gave his life up for people that could care less about him, for people who lived their lives to make a mockery of his life and teachings. Those are the ones he died for. We are the ones he died for. And John said, this is love. This is love. So how does the incarnation show the love of God? It doesn't stop there. The Bible writers have all of these things to expound on the love of God and on the incarnation. If you turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says this. It says, but emptied himself, speaking of Jesus, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Wow. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, even though he was God. Point to take home. If you didn't know already, God is humble. God is very humble. I'm not sure we understand the amount of humility in the act of the condescension. God had no problem coming down from his ranking, his high status in heaven to then come down to earth and that that and, and around the people that he created in the space that he made that he had formed and then take the lowest ranking of a servant god had no problem serving the beings that he created yet human beings can barely serve one another We see ourselves as too good for certain jobs, too good for remedial tasks, too good to be associated with a particular type of people, too important, too experienced. Jesus came down from heaven to wash grown men's feet, yet the only person that washed his was Mary Magdalene. Nothing about the incarnation, nothing about God's condescension was about or completely focused on Jesus Christ, at least his focus was solely on you and me. Whatever it took of himself, that's what he was willing to do to save humanity. He even said in his own teachings, look, he said, he that is the greatest among you, let him be your servant. So the God of the universe comes down from heaven to serve the beings that he created, not only serve, but to save them. And John says, this is love. This is love. But how does the incarnation relate to us loving one another? Look at verse 11. First John chapter four, verse 11. The apostle says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is how it relates. The people born of God love who God loves. The people born of God love who God loves. You cannot love God and not care about what he cares about so deeply. And that's people. That's you. And that's me. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. If God loves, individuals so much that he decided to become like them and came down from heaven to make sure that he had given them a second chance, another opportunity at life by giving his own life, then it would be impossible to not love our brothers and sisters in Christ and around and all over, really. The truth is, we, as humans, we, typically, we embrace individuals on behalf of the love of another person. Let me explain what I mean. Think about blended families, okay? Spouses love their stepchildren as their own because they love the person that loves the child. And then they grow to love that child as well hopefully right that's our prayer but because of the love of one person they're able to love another person in the family of god we are to love our brothers and sisters in christ because we understand the depth of the love of that the, of the depth of the love that god has for them we understand it so really the Gnostics, they had it all wrong. They had it all wrong. God is not a theory or a philosophy. The expectation of the Messiah, the, the, the idea which the whole Old Testament was based on was not a random abstract thought. The sanctuary system was not just this meaningless practice that the people of God participated in day in and day out. These symbols, these abstract concepts became a tangible, physical, divine reality in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. All of these, we'll call them theological bones, became a reality in Jesus Christ, they could never have been filled by a pursuit of knowledge, as the Gnostics had said. But here's the catch for us. Remember, John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. For those who may not understand God, for those who only see him as an idea or a myth or a philosophy, they should be able to see him as a reality in the way that you treat other people, in the way that we treat each other. John actually says, well, quotes Jesus in his gospel saying, they will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We actually undermine the gospel message when our love is not action. When there's no flesh to support our theological bones. In the way that Christ became incarnate in the world, Christ has to become incarnate in your life. He must be manifested in a way that can be seen. He must be manifested in a way that is tangible, in a way that you and I can experience. John says, this is love, that the incarnate Christ become manifested in your Christianity, not just for those believers in Asia Minor, but for you and for me every single day. That our words may become not just words, but deeds. That we don't detach our theology from our daily practice. And that if you believe that the incarnate God is the manifestation of love to the world, then you would manifest the same love through your actions and engagement with those around you. So what do we do from here? Well, At Advent Hope, we realize that our service and our love to the people of God goes beyond the doors of our worship space. It goes beyond the hours of Sabbath. And as we develop, you know, continue here with seeking to be active lovers of people, Within the next few months, we will have more opportunities for you to put your love into action. We are organizing volunteer opportunities so that you can be a testimony to the the spirit of God in your heart, to someone who is manifesting the love of God. Right now on the Advent Hope website, if you go there and you click community and you click volunteering, there's a place to register. Put your name. If you need to pray about it, please do. But look forward to getting your hands dirty and your feet dirty with loving people. You know, there are more modern Gnostics currently in society today. But we want people to know that love, that God is not an abstract concept, but love is a man named Jesus Christ. And he abides in the hearts of every believer through the power of his spirit. They that love have the spirit of God, they are born of God. So really, the little children got it right. Love is active. And Jesus showed his love by actively, in action, coming to this world, becoming a human being, walking our walk, dying on the cross. They got it right. And the apostle John says he or she that abides in love, abides in God, and is born of God. I pray that this is your desire. And I also pray that this would be our experience.